Welcome to the Strategy Mom Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Strategy Mob. I have no idea why every time I say that, I lower my voice. I guess because it just sounds cool. I'm not sure, right? <laughs> hey, guys, for everyone out there that's listening, watching, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. Today, I have a very special guest. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, hopefully, we don't say anything too controversial. Actually, I'll take that back. More likely, we will. Um, I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Scott Brender with me. Scott, thank you for taking the time to jam with me. Hey, Jason, I appreciate the opportunity for sure. Hey, for uh, everybody out there that's watching and listening, Scott, and you know, don't know your background, kind of how you got started with the industry, I thought it'd be fun to kind of kick off this podcast with a little origin story. So, you know, what is the automotive origin story of Scott Brender? Yeah, well, you know, it's that typical origin story. I think you've heard probably a million times, but uh, Family was in the family was in the car business, and uh, this was well before my time. Uh, so I come from a long uh, multi generations of car lovers, enthusiasts. Um, Great grandfather actually owned a Chevrolet dealership back in the day, way before me. Unfortunately, I didn't get an opportunity to play in that pool. But um, and then I have a lot of cousins and stuff that were mechanics, and so growing up, there was always that cool hot rod laying around. My dad was in the cars, my grandfather was in the cars, and so. At a young age, you could say, you know, that I got the traditional hot wheel to, to pedal story. You know, I mean, I was driving by age seven. I was raised up in uh, uh, northern Wisconsin. So back in northern Wisconsin, as soon as you could touch a pedal, you were driving something. So for us, it was, you know, seven years old driving tractors and hay wagons around the, the farm. But so got the got the motor motor. Uh, niche inside of me real early and um so by age 15 i was working as a porter in a, in a car dealership going to you know going to school and then when i was 18 it came down to that hey we're shorthanded one summer you know a little bit about cars why don't you try to sell a few cars kind of thing happened and then uh i found a niche you know i it, it I, I was one of those kids, I guess, just from where I was raised, I didn't have a whole lot of fear. And so ultimately, a lot of the stereotypes, I guess, that salespeople would have fearing the customer stuff, I would say some pretty crazy stuff back in the day. It would get the job done. I'd sell a few cars. 19, I was a finance manager. And then from there on, I've, I've carried every every role um, on the on the pretty much variable operation side. I never was a service manager or anything like that. But obviously, my used car background, I have the service end of it down pretty well too so i mean pretty much that's uh that's the spiel i mean that's where i came from. so you you kind of got bit by the bug man you just kind of got sucked into it like a lot of us right like when, when I think it was once it's in your skin it's like how do you get it out right like it's yeah. just it, it yeah. is you know it, it's so funny i get asked a lot you know like why don't i kind of expand our marketing efforts and our agency efforts out to other verticals and Honestly, I just don't think there are many other verticals that are as fun. I mean, look, our entire industry is built on three-letter words and four-letter acronyms. Or sorry, three-letter acronyms and four-letter words. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's no, like, I right. just, I could never trade it in, you know, for anything else out there. Now, look, we, we had a chance to connect on LinkedIn, which I've made some amazing relationships on LinkedIn. I've, uh, it's, it's been awesome. I've, uh, you know, I've been, I've been on actively on the platform for about five years. It's just, I've seen the platform evolve, you know, and most recently, I mean, you had the chance to connect over a post that I 
put out there that I, I, I may have kind of known that I was going to get some heat for. And you know what, though? It was cool to see how many people did kind of lean into the conversation. And then it was interesting to see how many people literally took personal offense like I was like, like I literally wrote the post for them individually. So, so, so Scott, kind of tell me, you know, how did you find the post? What were your first thoughts? And then we'll just kind of get into the conversation. So, I mean, obviously I follow, I follow your posts, but you know, this, this topic in, in general, this, uh, dealerships in general today, um, you know, and, and having been through so many different transitions and trends in car dealerships, I think anytime you talk about changing something that's a basically a hundred year old institution and say, Hey, listen, uh, these roles are no longer necessary, or I don't really see the point in these roles, you're going to hurt some feelings because you're not just talking to one or two individuals, unfortunately, but you're talking to hundreds, thousands of people in this industry that have that title and that are probably think that they are entitled that they have that title. So entitlement becomes a huge issue. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the gloves are going to come off and, and these guys are going to, you know, it's the ones that do, I didn't personally take it from that perspective in any way, shape or form, because I, I just think, I just think the car industry as well, it really dealership, it, it's, it's evolving. And I think if you fail to see that, that's the issue. And I think that's really what the conversation was. It wasn't, Hey, I want to X all managers out of the car. <laughs> even, though a lot, even though a lot of people did take it that way. A lot of people thought that I literally had my, my pick fork in one hand yeah. and then my, my, my torch in the other. And I was ready to burn this baby down to the ground. Um, but, but, but look, you've been in the business long enough to see what I have seen. And you've been in it longer than, than I have, right? I, 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 you've seen how the industry's evolved. You've seen how the customer's involved. You see the demand that is put on our staff and our salespeople. And like, like our salespeople, I, mean, I, I think of like, the, the, they're like communication experts. Like they have to be willing to have a communication like in like seven different formats just so they can connect to the customer. It's not enough that they can just pick up a phone and shake a hand. It's like they got to know everything, right? And it's, you know, the, the, the used car manager. I mean, just look, the, the margins that have shrunk and shrunk and shrunk over the years, it has put so much demand onto that used car manager. Where they, they have to be, you know, that that Wall Street stockbroker. They got to be that that marketing guru. You know, they, they have to they have to be on top of the merchandising in ways that we've never had. Look, I remember when I was at the dealership, my first used car job uh, was taking pictures for the Auto Trader uh, catalog, and then I had to write the description. Okay, so I had to write like a whole bunch of three-letter acronyms, and everybody was supposed to know what those three-letter acronyms meant: A, B, S, um, you know, uh, alloy. Like you just small little words to fit as much spots as you can, and you only had to take one picture. That was it. One picture, a little bit of description. That's all you had to do. Now, the customer's expectation is that you take thirty pictures, you record a video about the thing, and you write a two two paragraph long beautiful description of how amazing this car is like it's just changed so much so let's start there i want to kind of get your thoughts on you know just like how demanding is that position right now for and for one individual to handle so i think i think you know that's a great question jason and, and to be honest with you i i personally feel that that position is no longer a, a one person job it's it's virtually impossible i i've got I've got personal friends um, in in the markets here that 
are are trying to do that job as a as a used even a used car director in which they're trying to manage multiple stores. And I ask, and 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 I hey, I'm I'm be the first to tell you, um, in my roles with with my business, I've you know purchased from multiple dealers that have multiple stores, and I've tried to put that role on personally. And I can tell you personally, it's impossible. You know, when you talk about, you know, everything's so time sensitive in the car business right now, from from the second you purchase the car to how long it takes to get at your dealership, how long it takes for that car to be reconditioned, how long does it take for that car to hit the front line uh, and so forth. And so it's so time sensitive because, you know, a lot of these dealerships, you know, we're on a 60 day turn, you know, your first 30 days in some cases can be eaten up. You got 30 days to sell this car, which makes it even virtually even more impossible in some cases, you know, and, and this really managing by numbers is what I call it. Is, is somewhat antiquated in a, in, a, in a sense now, because, you know, we, we talk about, we'll throw the, we'll throw the names out that no one likes to hear the car, the car maxes, Carvana's, the, the zoo, you know, the, the rooms uh, and so forth. Well, they're data mining companies. And, and, and what's important for dealers to understand why that data is so important you go into an average dealership, you go to that used car uh, manager and you ask them, what's your hottest selling used car? Yeah, that's exactly right. You get dead silence. I mean, that's, whereas if you go into a director of a, a CarMax store and say, what's your hottest, hottest uh, selling model? He's going to tell you it's a 2017 uh, Chevy Equinox uh, LT with uh, LT3 package uh, for all wheel drive. And you're like, how the hell does he know that? Well, they collect data and they use that data or, and, and they even go further. These, these are national companies. It's, it's not a dealer group. And no, they're not. No, no, small, your, no, small from your hometown, small Boise, Idaho. <laughs> you know, it's not a dealer group in Boise, right. Who's got, uh, who's got four or five dealerships. No, these guys are tracking this across the nation. So they, you know, these used car managers, well, how do these, how do these uh, big groups pay so much for their inventory or whatever the case may be? That's another big question. They're paying too much for cars. No, they're not. They've got it. They've got it drained exactly to where that car needs to go to sell for the price in which they paid for it. Oh yeah. Look, look, they're tracking market trends, not just locally or regionally, but nationally. I mean, they know that, that, that car, that this this thirty five hundred pickup may cost this much in this small town in Pennsylvania on the East Coast, but if I can move that piece of inventory to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I can do it within less than two weeks, based on the market trends that have shown historically, I'm going to increase. Like that is the level of data that these guys are dealing with. I mean, they they know it down to the T. So then I so then I asked the dealer, like at an individual dealer or rooftop or even a small group, like like how do you combat that? Like I look, I almost kind of think Oh man, I'm gonna get screwed for this one too. <laughs> Scott, you know, you know when I start to, when I say that in advance, it's like it's coming. Like like does the used car department really need to exist? Or does it not just need to get folded into our just literally like why do we have this separation between new car and used cars? Like think of it from an operations perspective, you know, it's like, you know, the used car managers focus on selling used cars, new car managers focus on new cars. So there's, there's this separation there. They don't want to necessarily connect or communicate with each other. Right. Like, is it just not vehicle operations? What do you think? So again, you know, I love that question because I'm right with you, you know, here major corporations, you know, you, you see these positions advertised all the time. 
uh, a role, say acquisition or purchasing, whatever that is, you know, a, a gene manufacturer needs to purchase X amount of cotton from wherever. Okay. You know, so they have a purchasing department, a guy who's educated in where the, where the market is in cotton, where to buy cotton, where to ship cotton in from, how to process the cotton, whatever the case may be. And that's why you have, you know, you make the world's best genes or whatever the case it may be. We try to combine roles that just don't make any sense anymore in the car business. And here I'll even, I'll even go back, you know, and I say this all the time and, and people can fight me with it all day long. The role of the salesperson has changed. The role of the salesperson used to totally, be totally back agree. when I started in the business back in the mid eighties. Okay. The role of the salesperson was to provide information because the customers didn't have the internet. That's didn't right. exist That's when I got in the car business. You had to talk to so someone. Our role was to provide that customer who came in with that product knowledge to go and and we were the people that told them, hey, you you wanna you got six kids, you're looking for a minivan. This is a minivan for you, and this is why and we would tell them all the features and benefits. I'd go so far as the road to the sale, throw it away. Oh That's man, gonna make a lot of people mad. Scott, I literally Scott, Scott we're, gonna, we're gonna get burned. We're gonna get like, all right. I can already, oh, no, I can hear the people lining up outside my door yeah. right now that want to <laughs> torch my, torch my place. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I watched a video of a of a of a dealer. I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna say his name as much as I want to, but I watched a video on LinkedIn where a guy was having a, a group of trainees recite the role to the sale, and I literally threw up in the back of my mouth. I know that sounds horrible, but listen, these customers come in knowing more than our salespeople do about simple product knowledge. You know what? That's a really good point. So, so I, I want to elaborate a little bit on that because, you know, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm all the way down to actually the sales position like needs to be split up because there's two parts to the sales role. Now there's the actual product knowledge, which I like, I think both me and you agree. Majority of the salespeople we meet out there don't know their product. Like, and neither do they seem to want to know their product as well as the, like, I honestly find when I hear that, that saying the customer knows more about the product than, than my salespeople do. And, but they, then there's almost kind of like a smile with it. I'm like, I'm dude, like I'm, that's, how is that acceptable? Like, I just don't even understand that because in no other vertical and no other industry, we actually be okay with the fact that the customer knows more about the product than our, than our sales professionals do. Right. So it's like, I'm thinking it's almost like two roles. There's like the transactional part of it. Then there's the actual product knowledge of it, you know? Like, I just got into uh, a Lincoln Navigator the other day. I mean, holy crap. There's enough technology in there to make me go a little side, like a little cross-eyed, let alone anybody else. Sorry, go ahead. You had something to say. In Apple, you've got sales and you've got a genius. And what is the purpose of that genius? Once you buy that Apple phone, the genius is the one that's going to teach you how to use it because it's so darn complicated that you need a genius to teach you. And it's the same thing in the car so business. True. Listen. So this is this is this is one uh, this is one role I don't understand. I'll never understand. And, and and honestly, why aren't our BDCs staffed with our best salespeople? Look, look, I, I, I'm that's with where you. On the that. questions are being answered. That's exactly, and that's also where the relationship is starting. Right. You know, so 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 once from, they so, get to the dealership, <laughs> it's it's confirmation, test drive, and buy. It a hundred percent is right. So like, it's like no longer that that guy doesn't. He, product oh. knowledge portion of the sales is done. Most of the negotiating has already been done because if he didn't get any numbers, he wouldn't be sitting in your dealership to begin with. 
you know, getting off the used car manager. That's what this bothers me is the the whole the the whole demographics of of variable operations of car dealerships needs to be relooked at. Look at Carvana. Their call center is based out of Arizona. So a guy in New York is calling Arizona for product knowledge on a car that's sitting in Florida. How does that work? And the guy agrees to buy that car in Florida and they ship it up to him in, in, in New York. And the whole transaction happened through Arizona. How does that make sense? So I literally stopped by a dealership, a good friend of mine the other day, had to do some business with him. And he was out front telling me, you know, we got 12 sales guys, but we need to go to 20. And I was like, but, but it hasn't always been our default. Like that's our default answer. Like, like when we don't think we're getting enough or enough efficiency out of our processes, instead of actually working back towards the process, we decide to throw more bodies at the situation. Which is even, <laughs> insa- it's, it's even insane to me today to hear this because, you know, how many sales, how many, how many transactions does one Carvana operator handle in any given month? I mean, that's, that's, that's what I think about. I mean, how many cars does that guy actually sell? 100, 50, they sell 40,000 cars a month. That's a lot of transactions. How many, how many call reps do you think they have? You think they have 400 car reps in one room or even that 200 so that, you know, 200 people can sell 40,000 cars. It's just however many cars a piece. You think they use that kind of strategy in their, in how they run their operation. But as car dealers, we still use that old strategy. Oh, if we want to sell uh, 200 cars, we need 20 salespeople each doing 10 cars a piece. Okay. That's great math. Makes perfect sense. And nine times out of 10, you pull up to any dealership and what are these guys doing? They're just literally Nothing. sitting out the window. They're, fo- the they're, fo- they're, they're fo- fogging up the window going, mm, going to get me one today. <laughs> and, then, and then look at their managers. What are any managers doing? If you really want to get, you know, if you really want to hurt some feelings, you know, how much training is going on in the dealership? I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. It, 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 it is crazy. But so, so, so then let's, let's, let's back that up a little bit. Let's figure out why. Like, why? Like, every other vertical has changed, has adapted to change, has embraced change, has, you know, has, has changed, you know, because the consumer has, be cha- has changed, because the industry has changed. And yet, for some reason, we seem to hold on to this vision. I don't know this the 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 good old days and we want to kind of you know, I, I don't even know what the hell I want to call it it's just like we want to hold on to this this is it because it's comfortable is that what it is 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 because we're just we're comfortable and we 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 don't want to change like I'm trying to figure it out man what do you think so I like using the analogy um and I, I think it's a great one and I think it answers this question at least to if we if we don't change what's our future going to look like Okay. And I like to bring up Toys R Us. You know, Toys R Us management believed that people wanted to come touch, feel, and play play with toys. And you see this comment, you'll see this comment within your thread of people saying, people still like to buy from people. I love it. That's why Amazon's that's why Amazon's around, right? Because people like to buy from people. (laughs) All right. But the same thing, Toys R Us thought that. People wanted to come to these 50,000 square foot playhouses of fun, right? This is where people wanted to come, touch, feel the toys, bring their screaming, hollering kid, and buy the latest, newest toy that was probably out of stock. But this is where people wanted, this is what they wanted to do. They literally thought parents wanted to take their kids to Toys R Us. 
which if you were to ask any parent at that time, I can promise you, we did not want to take it's our It's the worst thing in the world. Like I got, I got, we would rather, hey, I saw this on TV and cartoons this morning, Daddy. Did we buy it? Amazon, where were you back then in the 80s? I needed you. Oh, Scott, like I have, I have three kids under the age of nine. Okay. Like I take them to a store. All right. It, it, it's, it's like a black ops mission. Okay. It's like, all right, here's where we're going. All right, we're mapping this thing out. Here's our strategical points. Here's our exit route. Okay, once I once I run the green smoke, you know we're out. Like, and it's just like I literally have to prep them for this because otherwise, if I don't go and prep, man, it's going to be People like the Star Wars Things are going to be <laughs> flying all over the place and stuff like that. Like, like I, 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 I the fact of the matter is, I'm never going to another grocery store. I, I now now in the last six months I've gotten to the point now where I don't ever have to go to another grocery store and I don't understand why I never did it in the first place. So like the consumer is changing and I just feel like you know, look I'm not saying that I that I have the right answer you know and I'm pretty sure you we're not you're not saying it either but I think it's, the bottom line is we gotta have the freaking conversation. Oh, but you gotta look at what's happening in America in retail in general and brick and mortar in general and here here I. You know, on that Toys R Us thing, the biggest thing is, you know, Toys R Us outsourced their online sales to Amazon. That's what happened. And Amazon collected the data, got really smart about the toy business. And now look who has the toy business and where's Toys R Us. Go a little bit further to brick and mortar. Our United States Mall. Where is it? When's the last time you walked into the mall to buy that whatever it is that you wanted to buy? I can tell you. I have not purchased a clothing of any type in any retail store probably within the last seven or eight years. I have not been into it. Why? Because Amazon, I can buy it. If I don't like it, I can send it back for free. Why would I want to go to a retail? If it doesn't fit, oh, well, I just you know, stop by UPS on my way home and boom, I'm done. 100%. To- and, and you know what, though? I, th- I think you nailed it right there. It's like, why would someone want to come into a brick and mortar? You know what I mean? Like, th- look, there are some brick and mortars that I do enjoy going to. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like I, I enjoy like um I have a couple clothing stores that I thoroughly when when I need another vest or another shirt or something like that, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy going to this brick and mortar place because of that experience I get. So I feel like, you know, it's it's one part, one part of the conversation needs to be, okay, you know, dealership management team, let's get all together, let's have the conversation. What does it look like for us to go online? And then the second part is we actually literally have to ask ourselves questions like why? Why would someone want to come see us? You know, what do we do differently that make that 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 is that makes them want to come to us? What are your thoughts on that, Scott? Well, you know, it's it's just, it's it's prime example. You know, uh, go back to Apple iPhone. You know, that thing that thing comes out. You know, it's announced three months in advance pre-sale. Okay, so pre-sale could be you know, a hundred thousand units or whatever the case may be. Once you get that sent to your home, you're immediately sending up a, a, a appointment with your genius. It's not like you don't like going to the Apple store. Matter of fact, you love going to the Apple store when you actually see a service being provided, which is teaching me how to use this new phone. So, there we so go. It, becomes, yep. it becomes a service. Well, back when I started in the car business, I mean, we always said it's, it's the greatest stage period because when, as a salesperson, we were taught to put on a show. We were the steps that we were taught. The road to the sale was that show. That was our script, and we used the transitions from you know part one of the show to part two of the show to part three to the store. They're called you know meet greet. You know is qualify. It was test drive. It was you know the whole nine yards. You, you, that was our show, and we were taught to put on that performance. 
Well, now our performance has been cut to the Reader's Digest version. Oh, 100%. We're just straight up just about the transaction. Yeah. Let's just, let's, let's, let's go, let's go from the meet and greet all the way to just they get into you the drive the like, car away. Like, right. <laughs> they get to the dealership. It's, it's, it's confirmation time. Where's the car? It's exactly what you said it was. I already have my price. How can I get into the finance office? And I, and, and, and so to go back to a question you answer, uh, asked and we didn't answer, I think is why is this so hard to change? Well, I think it, I think it can be divided into two pieces. One is the new car dealership, new car franchises versus used car independent dealerships. Because you see the used car independence, you know, CarMax obviously has been the number one used car independent dealer since the beginning of time. I mean, what are they on 10, 12, 15 years of being number one? And now you've got another player in the game card called Carvana who's, who's taken and, and they're selling, you know, 40,000 on their way to, as we all know, 2 million is their yearly number that they have projected, which is, which is huge. What does 2 million sales taken away from that franchise dealer does? Ask yourself this question, and I'm going to get murdered right now. <laughs> okay, do it. <laughs> Take away the franchise laws. Oh, I'm, what I'm happens to the What happens to the new car dealer if there were not this, this, this shield of protection, which is called franchise laws? What manufacturer... Because understand, the manufacturer pays that dealer to sell that car. There's a lot of money, dealer incentive, rebate, uh, volume incentives, whatever there is. There's a lot of money that flows that dealer for the sale of that new car for being a franchisee. But of all the manufacturers, and you know, I mean, here, you know, cut me off at the legs. Let's talk about Tesla. <laughs> okay. You know, let's cut it, cut it off at the legs. How can they put out the model three? And I think the number was some ridiculous number, like 60%, 65% of the sales of the model three all happened online, a brand new manufacturer all happened online. So when you look at that shield of protection, take it away. And what manufacturer wouldn't want to go to a direct sale model? Oh, no, look, I'm with you. In fact, I mean, we know for a fact there are several manufacturers that are testing this and have already executed in some little, Well, they're using the shield way, of right? something. Well, it's and, and, and they're like, oh, we're trying stuff out. We're just trying stuff out. And they're using the shield of subscription model. So yeah, we're just trying to, we know what they're really doing. They're testing out the, they're, they're testing the waters of a direct model. Yeah, but but, I, but, but I, I wonder though, I wonder though, and then this is the question I have for you, is are we driving the customer to such an online experience because our in dealership experience was so crap. You know what I mean? Like I, I wonder if we can kind of find that 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 middle ground where it's like the customer wants to interact and engage with us online. Hell, we'll do that. But if they want to spend a few hours in having this this fun, entertaining or luxurious experience, then we need to generate that for them. No different than, like you said, the Apple store, right? Like, uh, you know what's funny? I actually do have a genius that I do use. We, I, a few years ago, I ordered like a, a big, you know, video editing, you know, like Mac, Mac Pro, right? And, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was ordering. So I reached out to them and said, look, this is what our company does. We're editing these. I need six of these units, da, 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 da. And I got connected with this genius actually went into the store, met with the person, showed me the product. And now, you know, it's three years later, the tech's beginning to fade away a little bit. I have to reorder again. I'm reaching out to this individual person, hoping that I can come back into schedule that, 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 that insight that, or that in-store experience. So it's like, I create that relationship with them, but it's like, I'm looking forward to going in there and meeting with them. 
Like I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of what what is new in that tech space. So like like how do we? Is it a question? I guess what it is. Is it a question of you know our generating an online experience or spending more time developing out that in-store experience, or is it really kind of a, a both? What do you think? I know. I think this is a catch twenty-two answer because you got you got to you got to think that a lot of these uh, in-store experiences, a lot of these um, stopping points, I guess, or touch points that happen when you come into a dealership. You know, um, we're all developed. Um, for margin profit that. And so here, here's the thing, you know, what, what scares, you know, what scares me as a dealer is can I maintain these, these levels of margin and profit and all these profit centers that I have in my dealership, just take variable operations. I mean, we all know the selling of the car is one, uh, you know, profit center. Then we move them into either an after sale department, which is our second profit center to a, to a finance department with our, which our third profit center. I think why have dealerships scared is because it's become so competitive through, you know, velocity pricing and things like that on used cars and, and things like that. The competitiveness of everybody undercutting everyone else that we're not making the margins up front. They fear that these, if I, if I, if I go to an online format, if I make it easier for my customers to make their own decisions, they won't make a decision to decide on, decide on one of these three profit centers. Whereas the actual fact of that is, is, because of COVID and because of, you know, um, social distancing and things like that, dealerships that did have or had started too, because you got to understand COVID happened. I mean, we just came out of NADA. Um, obviously everyone, the, the hot topic would have been, you know, digital retailing, right? I mean, that was pretty much the hot topic of NADA. So you take digital retailing and everyone was just kind of like, I don't know if I need this. I don't know if I want to do it. I don't see the value in it. You had a lot of questions being asked and then all of a sudden COVID happens. And everyone got thrust into, oh, my God, I got to do something today. I'm shut down. I can't do nothing. And, and we're, we're trying to answer all these questions. And in a matter of three or four months, a lot of dealerships have adapted to a, a, a digital retailing thing. Now, are they committed to it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that is, I that is, that is the big question. Yeah. <laughs> but some of that data shows that customers will make a decision on that product on their own on those three profit centers that we don't have to fear them. Like, okay, I, I, I stripped, you know, I got the margin stripped out on the price of this car. So if this guy buys it, I'm losing money. And it's the same reason why we want to spin this all the way back around why used car department has to change. Because I think when you're acquisition, everyone knows, you know, when you acquire a vehicle, that's when you make your profit. 100%. And so one person trying to acquire however many cars your dealership needs per month to, to support your sales objective, whatever that may be. How can one person have this pulse on every single acquisition outlet that there is out there? I'm not, I mean, the easy way is the auction, but the auction comes with some pains. You've got auction fees and, and, and shipping and, and arbitration and issues and, and, and poor condition reports. How we can go on that for another whole, whole podcast. Oh, that, that's a little, like, that literally could be an entire podcast. You know, that's, that's, I mean, we've touched on so many different areas. Today. This is probably a hodgepodge or whatever, but hey, I think that's why this whole role of used car manager needs to turn into more of a, a individual purchasing, especially dealer. Well, it, it needs to be the entire dealership effort, right? Like yeah. it really does. Like, I mean, I just like, look, the service manager needs to own the reconditioning of the cars, right? I Means the right. service manager needs to have ownership of those cars. All right. It, the, 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 super, the, the service department has to stop looking at the used car department as just another client, but actually take some ownership of like, okay, there are... 70 or 100 
10 cars on my lot that the service department owns from a reconditioning perspective, right? So that, I think that's that, that's one that has to happen, right? Then to your point, like it is way too much to be buying right now. Like it's, it's not only just identifying market trends and finding the right outlets where you can actually buy them, but then, I mean, like I even have some dealerships that are going as far as calculating out a rent factor on each parking spot that the dealership has and true acquisition of, of advertising on against every single vehicle. Like there's a lot of expense that goes into that. So this like, it's like one person's responsibility just to manage the multi-million dollar portfolio that is the inventory. Then you got the merchandising of it. We were talking about that earlier, right? The merchandising is, is, is like the consumer demands more today than they've ever had before. You got two or three pictures of the car online, it doesn't exist, you know. Like I, I, I was at it. I was. It was funny. Or no picture at all. <laughs> okay, I was just about to say that. So, you know, uh, look, I had a handful of people that really took that post that, that I did out there very personally. So I decided to. I, I'm. A, I want to understand this person a little bit better, right? So I decided to. There was definitely one that I decided to look into their role, and I'm not. Look, it is what it is. Like over 20% of their inventory online didn't even have images. And had copy and paste comments for every single car. And, and, so it's and, that, <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that, so it, we talked about that entitlement, right? You know, most, yeah. most managers, most managers like myself, we worked our way from the bottom. And, and so our vision of entitlement, you know, 25 years ago, ask yourself what your managers looked like 25 years ago, what level of entitlement that they, that they had. What level of compensation did they make? You know, some of these managers back in the day, it, you know, a GM, it wasn't on, on shy of a half a million dollar job. You know, well, obviously we, we figured that out really quick. Like that was, you know, grossly overpaid, even though there's probably some old school guys out there that would disagree with me, but it was grossly, grossly overpaid to pay a guy half a million dollars to do this job, right? It didn't need, need to happen. And I think what happens is when you get that tower of power, which I call that management tower in any dealership, whether I, it's, I love that it's name, an actual tower. That's awesome. Tower of power. It, it's, it's, it's this entitlement. So when you ask a used car manager to go take a picture, oh, no, it's not my job. You ask that used car manager to write a description. Oh, that's not my job. That's the picture guy's job. You know, you ask that used car manager to, to manage your reconditioning process, you know, that, that, he might say is his job when realistically it should just be, you know, if you had, if you had the, the, the benchmark set for a service manager, why does my used car manager have to micromanage my service manager or why do they have to micromanage the inventory together? Exactly. Like, like so why are they whole, even wondering about it? So while they're micromanaging inventory, I'm missing six or seven leads of a customer that if I could have grabbed onto that person early, I might've had a shot at them, but instead I don't have any pictures. I don't have a description. It's nobody's job. These guys are all being grossly overpaid and let alone they're entitled. So, so Scott, is that what you think it is? is I mean, when you kind of, we, we're kind of talking our way through it right now, but, you know, is it kind of boiling down to the fact that, you know, we're not having these conversations, we're not making these changes to the way that we're oper operationally structured because of entitlement? It, what would you, I, is that what you're saying? You know, it, it feels that way to me because you look at, you look at any other industry and, and corporations out there. I mean, we're talking fortune 500 companies, whatever. And you, if you see, if you see their hierarchy, I mean, it's typically, you know, a vice president, a president, a vice president, a senior director. Those are all the guys in the upper echelon. But when you get down into the actual work production lines, whether it's sales, whether it's manufacturing, 
I mean, you typically see a title no greater than supervisor. That's a really good point, by the way. Very good point. I mean, so, and what are they supervising? Well, they're supervising production. And so the production of the sales department is to sell more cars. We're supervising everything other than what we should be supervising. So I don't understand that separation between sales and BDC, why there's two departments. Because ultimately, oh, I'm as, totally with you. I don't, I've never, as understand a sales, that. yeah. I mean, when I, when I was trained as a salesperson way back in the day, in the 80s, I remember I had a sales manager. He probably is no longer alive. His name was Joseph Keel, but he had the Joseph Keel Power Hour. We had two hours and a phone number every day with, with the A section of the phone book to call every A and introduce yourself as the local <laughs> dealer. I mean, let's go back in time. Yeah. But, but our day was structured. Today, it's, 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 this, it's this sit and wait, you know, and these salespeople, what do they do in that sit and wait? Because they don't get to do anything except for follow up on previous business. If they do that, that's a whole nother topic. We don't need to get into that. Yeah, I was going to say, we could do a whole podcast on that one. That, I, we've had probably six or seven podcasts today. But, you know, at the end of the day, they wait for that BDC to develop that customer that's going to come into that door and however they split those things up. But it's like, why put the customer through this multiple change process? That's what it's just like. We do everything to make buying a car complex. Is so, it really that hard? Because all these other places have shown us, you know, Carvana. I don't care what you say about them. They're selling forty thousand. Oh, they're not profitable. Give them some time. Hey, look, who, who, which dealership is when you know in the first five or ten years that they're running stuff? You know, so. especially <laughs> a, especially a publicly traded company. Look, most dealers. I'm sorry. I mean, hey. High school, exactly. some Good college point. education, high school, some college education. So I'm no Einstein here, right? I just was good at, you know, you know, as a, as a people person, it's got me to the top. Anyway, bottom line is, is that, you know, a, a publicly traded company, they're known in the first five years that they're not going to cut a profit. We're not there yet with Carvana. We really aren't. And ultimately they're still growing, but they're growing to what point? You know, they'll get to a point of expansion in which they no longer really have to spend $5 million for a vending machine. Once all the vending machines are there, then what? They've got your market. You it's, know, while you're sitting there, it's the same thing it. that happened, same thing that happened with CarMax. I can remember it to this day, how every single dealer on the planet feared CarMax. Feared, oh, it's never going to work. It's not possible. This, that, or the other thing. Look at them today. They're hugely profitable. Hugely profitable. You, you know what? I was hoping, all right, you know, I, look, uh, during COVID, okay, and during the times where a lot of us were shut down and stuff like that, I saw changes in our industry that happened so fast that it got me excited. Like, I mean, I, like I legitly got excited, you know, for our industry because we changed in the matter of two to four months uh, faster than we probably had in the entire previous 40 years combined right and 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 i was i was so hoping that we were kind of heading towards that direction which hence the reason why i kind of put out this post because i was hoping that 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 snowball of change wouldn't just stop at you know our our online experience or our in dealership experience but really then kind of went into how our operations or the structure of our operations is also affecting the overall experience and the profitability and, you know, the last couple months, we kind of ran into this, like, false sense of, I don't know, success where everyone feels like everyone had last couple months, some really great months, right? And it's like, all of a sudden, these questions and these conversations around, like, how do we make things better? All of a sudden, just stopped. And I'm so annoyed by it. Yeah, well, you know, I agree with 100% what you're saying in, in here. 
listen, it was nothing that any dealership or management did differently. You know, you say, you know, yes, they were they were looking for ways to to do a transaction and they were forced to do it by their you know government bodies or whatever the case to handle these transactions this way. I mean, there was other inf- there was so much other influence in that. I think people it, it you're it's like, you know, a turtle's a turtle, right? It's gonna go one speed, right? Well, a dealership is a turtle, if you ask. It's gonna go one speed. And and if you think that you're gonna hurt that turtle with that hard shell, if you, you know, the the guys that actually thought that they were doing something special that were making all these numbers, you know, look at the environment. You know, you had no new car production. You had new cars still selling. You had volume and new cars dropping. You had dealerships, obviously, the consumers are still consumers, you know, and they've got all this time on their hands. You know, they're sitting at home and, you know, ultimately they still want to purchase something because that's just our nature and cars is obviously, I got some time now. I've been thinking about it. So they went to whatever was available and used cars as what was available. There was nothing being made in the new car side. So we're here making all these record used car numbers and sales and we're pounding our chest. Look what we're doing. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> yep. We didn't do anything different than we always had been doing other than maybe changing how we were, you know, initially engaging with our customers. You, you know where I, that- you know, where I saw a, just a glimpse of hope that I really like, I saw it happen and I was like, Oh, maybe this is what's going to really kind of, flip things like flip it on its head was when dealerships started realizing that they were making the same amount of money or more net profit with a third less of their staff and then that's that is when i thought i thought for sure for sure if we're ever going to have the you know the conversation around how we're going to evolve the operations of a dealership, this is the time where we're going to have that conversation. When you realize you were able to do a lot, a lot with less, and I'd say it's got, but it, it came, and now it's gone, and I just feel like I just I don't know like I lost the opportunity. <laughs> we have these. We have these. We have this long-lasting, standing agreement in the car business of anything that scares us just waits three, three, four, five, six months, and it'll all be gone. I mean, it's been that way. It's been that way for in my career. I mean, I can remember, you know, dot com. You know, I can remember when when NADA was nothing other than dot com companies. How dealers have that website. It's like when I got into the car business, to find a computer anywhere in a car dealership was like. It was like a treasure hunt. I mean, literally, if you could find one, there typically was one in the parts room that was set up to some big, huge satellite on the on the roof. But I can remember even early, this kind of shows you just my nature, even early as a salesperson. And, and my dad had worked for IBM, so I, I was computer literate. And I would ask my sales manager, why don't we have computers at our desk? We have all this. Even when .com came up, you may have had one or two. You may have had one or two computers that you shared yep. amongst somebody as we would, you know, get on and, and do our thing or whatever the case. And then, of course, manufacturers started adapting more uses to it and so forth. But for the most part, it was still business as usual. Nobody wanted to adapt to this new technology. And I think that's what's sad about our business, because out of any of this type of retail business, in my personal opinion, we are as a as as a technological um industry we are so far advanced in what we're able to do 100 percent agree you, know, you can take you can take motors you can take uh power sports atvs or boats or recreational rvs even 
you go work in any of those industries, which I have, so I have a little bit of knowledge about this. You try to go scan a VIN number of an RV and try to get any kind of evaluation or information on an RV. And I can tell you right now, it ain't ever going to happen. It's impossible. It floor plans, whatever. We are so advanced in the car business, but we don't even use a tenth of what's available to us to streamline and better make our business. Yep. And these dealerships that are complaining about margin, your personnel, your staff, how many people you have to do a job that real honestly, we are far advanced. It doesn't take four guys to change a light bulb in a dealership anymore. I promise you it doesn't. And so <laughs> and that, that really does kind of sum it up, right? Like it doesn't really yes. take four guys to screw in a light bulb. Right. But you know what? Look, I think anybody that out there that's watching or listening right now have to understand that what we're saying and the passion behind how we're saying it, it comes from a place of just love. Like this, this is a little bit of tough love. We, we have a little tough love for our industry, but you know, you've been blessed by this industry. I've been blessed by this industry. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not out there to, 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 torch it to the ground. And Scott, I highly doubt you're out there to do the oh. same. Like, we, we, we're saying this out of love and, and we really want to see our industry continue to evolve and better itself. And, and this guy, I think, I think just, you know, cause I know it's getting towards the tail end of our time. You know, I, my kind of my last kind of comment is, is that we're going to have to process our way to profitability. There isn't a magic wand. There's not, there, there's no diet pill that's out there that exists, you know, that we're just going to have to hardcore look at our operations and really ask ourselves the tough questions and process our way to profitability so that those margins are higher. Um, Scott, for you, kind of final thoughts before we finish off here? Yeah, you know, I'll just add to that. You know, I 100% am with you. I am not beating up Mr. Car Dealer. That is not me at all. I'm not beating up my industry because this industry has paid for my kids to go through college. I mean, it's put a good life out there for myself and my family. I would, I would tell you, if you ask me, you know, personally one-on-one, -on -one, I would tell you that the car business is the greatest industry in the world, hands down. There's more opportunity available for somebody with a mere high school education oh, like agree. myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I look at those things and, and, and I'm blessed. I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this for Mr. Dealer. To be honest with you, I'm listening to what my customer wants. Yep. And I'm trying to streamline and adapt our industry, not because I want to make the job easier, not that I want to see anybody lose their job. But I, what I'm trying to say is, Mr. Dealer, myself included, is this is what the customer wants. The customer wants a streamlined format. The customer yep, wants a, a, a better experience. And I think we can deliver the better experience in ways that no other industry can, because heck, there's a lot of talented people out there. A yes, lot yes. of people way smarter than <laughs> I. And I'm just seeing some of the software and things that have been developed over the last just couple of years, digital retailing even. I mean, I've been involved with a company with that as well. And I'm just gonna tell you, there's some awesome possibilities out there if you're willing just to open your eyes a little bit, crawl out of that shell that you've been in for so long and see actually what, how we can streamline this business because profitability will always be an issue for the dealer. But the best way to profitability is also looking at, at your process. And there's a lot of just heavy, heavy salaries and, and positions and, and that don't really need to be there because they're no longer productive. 
And that's just how totally, I feel about it. hundred percent. No, no, look, look, we want our business. We want our industry. We want our dealers to grow and it, it, it grow within the business and continue to profit from it. Hey, Scott, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and would love to connect with you, uh, what is the best way to do so? So easiest for me, obviously, would be uh, if you want to just touch base with me on email. Uh, I've got a couple of them, a couple of websites, obviously, too. But um, Scott at shopcars.com, and that's cars with the K, K-A-R-S, shopcars.com, or webuycars.com. It's uh, Scott, period, Brender, B-R-E-N-D-E-R, at webuycars.com. Uh, great way to get into me, or obviously, you can just uh, Scott Brender on LinkedIn. You'll find me. I make enough comments on there. It's not hard. Most people, I have a very memorable face. So when you hit me, you'll remember me. It's not one of those things. And honestly, guys, uh, I'm always open. I love open uh, conversation about these these issues. And if I can provide any kind of you know input to whatever your dealership may be struggling with or just directions you want to go, I'd be happy to happy to do it. That's awesome, Scott. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a ton of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.